life has been a challenge. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, like on the night that Brooke died, I didn't want to be alive, you know? So you've gone from wanting to literally die when it happens to, okay, next month marks three years and grief is an uncontrollable, unpredictable process. Welcome to the Walk Like a Champion podcast, where you will learn to walk like champions who are walking like the champion, Jesus Christ. He is the undefeated and unstoppable champion. Now, wherever you are on your journey, you are invited to tune in today's conversation and take your next step. I am your host, Chad Simpson, and tonight's feature guest is Tom Reese. Tom is in his first season as the associate head coach at Clemson. Prior to that, Tom spent two years as the head coach at Incarnate Word, two seasons as the assistant at Kansas State, and was the head coach at Division II Lenore Rhine and Illinois Springfield. Now, Tom's story is a powerful one. In this episode, we talked about Tom's journey from England to the US, how he felt called to become a coach and how one tragic day in February of 2021 changed his life forever. Prepare your heart, open up your heart, and let's step into episode one of the Walk Like a Champion podcast. Tom Reese, it's a, it's a gift to have you on the Walk Like a Champion podcast. I appreciate you making time. And uh, yeah, we just like to get right into it. I'm going to throw it to you. Um, what does walking like a champion or walking like Jesus look like in your life? Yeah, thanks, Chad. Happy to chat with you today. That's a big one, huh? I heard a, a quote at a men's conference a couple of years ago that the fastest way to get where God wants you to go is slowly. So, uh, you know, we think that everything has to happen fast, fast, fast. And actually, Jesus is in control of our life. He already knows the plan and the destination. So, uh, on the daily basis, it's really trust and trying to lean into the word to see how he wants me to walk and what type of impact uh, he's put me on this earth to make. That's good stuff, man. That's really good stuff. Do you feel um, do you feel as a coach, as an athlete, do you feel like it's natural or easy for you to go slowly um, and, and kind of have that trust, have that faith? Uh, absolutely not on the slowly part. You know, as coaches, sometimes we can get caught up in the whirlwind of wanting to be successful and wanting to be successful fast but really uh everything happens for a reason it's all a process and so you know trying to withdraw into some silence and solitude to really listen and, and find out what the plan is and what the steps are to take is super important that's good stuff that's good stuff and just as you mentioned silence and solitude um i'm curious just for you to be strong in your faith here today um, do you have any rhythms or routines like on a daily, weekly basis that have kind of helped you stay strong in your faith? Yeah, I think for me, it's probably been uh, two or three parts to that. Like reading is huge. Um, so trying to be in the word every day, uh, writing as well, like whether it's a, uh, about faith life, personal life, the team, just kind of journaling, I think is huge. Um, and then trying to stay fit and healthy as possible with healthy body, healthy mind as well. That's good stuff. Um, just pressing deeper into the journaling aspect. What's uh, do you have like a process in the morning at night or 
Uh, what's your process for trying to journal? Uh, it would definitely be more of a morning journaler for me. Usually by the time it hits uh, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm ready to be zonked out in the bed. Um, morning has always been the way for me, and there's definitely no plan. I, I really enjoy writing, actually, so I've never used prompts or anything. I, I really just write what's on my heart. Sometimes it's two or three pages. Other days, it's two or three lines, and I just let what comes out of the pen onto the page happen. But it's been very helpful and beneficial over the years. I probably started that just tennis journaling when I was about 13, journaling about training and matches, and it's involved into a, a key anchor for me for life. I love that, man. That's really good. For me as well, sometimes it's easier to uh, let the emotions out through through the pen than, than even verbally. But um, if our listeners are, are listening up to this point, they can tell that you have a little different accent than than the others. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, uh, where it was home, and even the process of of tennis growing up? What was that like for you? Yeah, well, it's funny. If I go home, which is England now, people ask me uh, where I'm from. And uh, and when I'm in America, people ask me where I'm from because the Brits will, will rib me over my very Americanized British accent now. Um, so it's kind of halfway in the Atlantic Ocean. I came over in 2008, so it's been a while. But uh, home for me is Worcestershire, England, famous for the sauce. Um, but and grew up, you know, being big into football or soccer. You know, it's kind of the national sport over there. Played tennis um, at local club with friends till I was uh, from eight to 12 or 13. But then I had a coach. Uh, his name is Michael Crooks. He, he played in America, played on the tour and came back and opened my eyes to American college as an opportunity for me. So from really 13, 14, all the way through 18, I dedicated my whole life was tennis, 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 you know, three times a day, very old school training as far as like heavy on the match play. I wanted to play three sets a day, five days a week if I wasn't in a tournament uh, because I really wanted the opportunity to come out here. So 2008 got that opportunity. Uh, always thought I wanted to be a professional tennis player, of course, but about a week into college tennis, um, I I felt a calling, which at the time I probably didn't know that was from God. Now I know that it came from God. And, and within a week of practice, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a college tennis coach. This is no awesome. That's awesome. What a story. And uh, growing up there in in England, what uh, who were you emulating? Did you have any any uh, heroes or idols growing up? Oh, man, I might be the only person in the world and my friends will will laugh at know this and they laugh at me for it. But I might be the only person in the world whose favorite player growing up was Vincent Spadia. OK, legendary American guy, man. I just saw the underdog mentality and the underdog in him. And I felt like really only starting to take tennis seriously at 14. I felt like I was the ultimate underdog, too. So I followed his career. I think he went on a 21 match losing streak and then got back to top 20 in the world after that. But um, obviously Tim Hemman as well, being English playing serve and volley, which is the style I tried to emulate. Uh, those would probably be my two all time favorite guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. Vince Spadian, not what I expected there, but um, that's, that's <laughs> well, awesome. I don't, I don't play like him at all, but man, when I was a teenager and I was trying to fight my way to a college scholarship, I loved that underdog gritty mentality he had. That's awesome. And then tell us just a little about your, your journey there, uh, playing college tennis. Um, what, what was that like for you coming, coming from overseas? 
um, as I tell recruits now, just an awesome um, horizon broadening life experience. You know, for us as coaches, um, college tennis is our vehicle to impact lives. And as a player, it's your vehicle to learn about life. Um, college tennis and college athletics in general can teach you so much of of what it takes to be successful and overcome hard things. But man, I was really lucky. I'd never been to America before. Um, and I ended up at a school in Greenville, Tennessee called Tusculum University, a pretty historically successful Division II school. Uh, and we did well. I think we were, were nationally ranked there, made a, a tournament final. But man, I was wanting to push my game as much as possible. So I had the opportunity to transfer over the mountains and play for two incredible coaches at UNC Asheville and Lisa Gregory and Tom Hand. And those two in combination with the team we had, man, took my tennis to the next level. So three years as a UNC Asheville Bulldog, um, again, kind of an underdog team. You know it well. We had some great battles in the Big South, um, but great experience, great opportunities and uh, friends for life. You know, it was a brotherhood that lasts for life. Isn't that crazy that uh, there would have been zero chance that you and I could have predicted there in 2009 when our teams battle in the Big South that we'd sit be sitting here uh, talking about tennis and faith today. Um, but what a, what a journey it's been. And so you continued. So out of college, you wanted to be a coach if you felt that calling, didn't know where from. But uh, how were those first steps uh, getting into coaching for you? Well, there was still just this little candle flickering in the wind of maybe I could play some pro doubles. Like, man, I'm six foot five. Like, if I could get it going, maybe I can play some doubles. So I, I tried in the futures for a little while, kind of bummed around. I think I played, I don't know, 10 or 15 futures and figured out pretty quick that singles wasn't going to work. But doubles was okay, you know, but I still remember my first prize money check in doubles was like 40 US dollars or something. And nice. the expenses for the week were like 540. So um guy by the name of Kent Northworthy, who is still the, the head men's and women's tennis coach at North Georgia, uh, reached out and heard through a friend, hey, man, I hear you're looking to get into college coaching. We could really use you. And at the time, well, North Georgia now is is a perennial top 10 Division II school, but at the time they had just made their first NCAA tournament. So um, I went there for two years and did a graduate assistantship and man, it was amazing. And that's kind of where the whole journey started in 2012, which is kind of crazy to think this is year 12 for me now in college coaching. Yeah. And a very young head coach then as you went to Springfield uh division two and then Lenore Ryan but what were I mean as a young 24 year old head coach like what were some of the first things that you're learning about the industry well it's it's so funny because I think most coach and I'm not old I still think I've got life in me but um uh, definitely at 24 I think I thought I knew more than I knew and uh I think I was an okay coach but those those players on those two rosters at UIS probably could have had a better version of me uh now than they had then i think it was very much about like how do we get as many wins on the schedule as possible um rather than the people and the process which it is about for me now solely about the people and the process you know now results are a byproduct of that but man it was great and actually like still still have good relationships with most of the players there one of my former players from springfield was my assistant for two years at incarnate words so that came full circle um but yeah like just 
as most young coaches do, learning through your mistakes of how to develop relationships uh, in a player-coach manner with people who are only a couple few years younger than you is quite a challenge. Um, the money wasn't great, right? So like I moved halfway across the country to somewhere I've never been and uh, figuring it out, you kind of get a you kind of get a basket of balls and a key to the office. And they're like, all right, figure it out. Um, so it was learning by trial and error more than anything. Um, the first couple of years, I think by, by year three or four of head coaching for me, by which time I was at Lenore Ryan, I'd really started to hone in and cement my philosophy a little bit more um, coherently. And I think success also followed that, you know, I love it. I love hearing it now. Pretty clear the people and the process of all those years of learning and and growing. Um, but you know, you're climbing, climbing the ladder uh, to Kansas State. Um, and are you willing just to share? You know, there's a moment there, February of 2021, that that changed your life, uh, obviously forever. But are you willing just to share a, more of your story and and what happened then? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, one of my one of my pastors who I'm still close in contact with from Manhattan ha had a quote that one day has the power to change every other day. And for me, you know, I, I was married to the love of my life, the beautiful Mrs. Brooke Reese. I met her at North Georgia and told my boss, you know, he was like, why are you so happy, man? And I said, well, I met the woman I'm going to marry last night. And he was like, in Dahlonega, Georgia, does she have any teeth? I was like, man, she's got a full set of pearly white. So um, just fell in love instantly. And Brooke and I got married. We went to UIS together, Lenore Ryan together. And we were actually really happy. Like, can't speak highly enough of those two schools and, and the athletic director, Kim Pate, that I worked for. But as a competitor, I was like, man, like, feel like we're close to maxing out here. And I really want to see if what I do and what I believe in works at the highest level. Um, at the time, that was 2019, having not coached in Division I, um, it was not easy to try to get a Power 5 assistant job and try and find a paid one. It would have been easier to take the volunteer route, but that wasn't an option for me at the time. Um but Jordan Smith at K-State is the guy that took the chance on me, uh, kind of untested at the level, successful in Division Two, but untested at the level. And um, went to interview and came back and said to Brooke, I think we're I think we're going to move to Kansas. And she was just an amazing um, supporter, like coach's wife role. That's so difficult. Any coach's spouse knows that can be quite an unpredictable profession. Um, but anyway, we moved to Kansas State and really the plan, of, of course, we think we have our own plans, but sometimes most of the time it's uh, incorrect. The plan was really like, okay, like let's go to Kansas State for like three to five years and then as an assistant and then maybe try to get an associate head coach job. And then 10 years from now, maybe try and become a power five head coach and cement my cement myself at that level and have enough income to where Brooke could raise the kids or work part-time and kind of working towards that picture of what we wanted our life to be. Um, and we had solid teams, man. And we were um, always in the rankings at Kansas State and things were, were going relatively well. I think we were a bubble team both the years I was there. But man, one Wednesday afternoon is the day that changed every other day for me. I was at 
tennis practice. It was a cold February day in Kansas. Um, came home from work that day. Was We're supposed to go to a basketball game. It's kind of what you do there. You go support the Wildcats in every sport. Um, and uh, told Brooke on my way home, nothing. Texted her, nothing. I was like, okay. Like, I know she was going to another town today, Lawrence, to get her oil changed and do some shopping and things like that. So she's uh, probably talking to somebody else on the way home. Um, or maybe she got called in for work. She was off, but she was always on call. Um, nothing. Nothing. Um, by which time it was getting close to basketball time. I was like, this is kind of strange that I haven't heard from her. Um but still didn't think anything was majorly wrong. So I didn't even take my shoes off. I was just sitting on the couch with my feet up, pulled out my phone as we subconsciously do to scroll on uh, social media. And uh, man, the first I pulled up Facebook and the first thing that came up on my Facebook was uh, a local news crew live at the scene of a multi-car incident in Topeka. And I was like, oh, okay, Brooke's stuck in traffic. I checked my credit card bill. She'd been through the toll booth. Um, so she's stuck in traffic and she's probably on the phone saying, went to one of her friends talking about she's going to be late to the game and save us a seat and all that type of stuff. Because um, she, man, she was a social butterfly. She made friends anywhere we went. But I, a uh, minute or so later, the first comment, on the Facebook post was, you know, one, one fatality, white Kia Forte, at which point, um, man, just a feeling like no other feeling, your heart sinks into your stomach. And uh, so I called everybody, parents, family members, best friends, uh, boss, anybody that I could think of that might have heard or been in contact with Brooke. Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, so, uh the, the next probably three hours were just a total blur, man, like calling hospitals, uh, police, anybody that we thought could give us some insight, even tried to get in touch with the news anchors or the news stations. Uh, some of our closest friends had come over to join in the search efforts and, um, Man, I had withdrawn to my bedroom at that point to try and gather my thoughts and like just rack my brain of like what else could be true, like what other possibilities could be happening right now. Um, so I kept calling friends in the lounge, kept calling probably two and a half to three hours later. Um, there was a knock at the door. And uh, I fully expected it to be Brooke walking in being like, why is everybody over here? Like, you know, what's going on um, in her Georgia accent? And actually it happened to be two state troopers and um, and a chaplain. And um, yes, yeah, uh, I don't really remember the next uh, few days, to be honest with you. But all I remember saying is... Uh, all I remember being told by the state trooper is that um, there'd been a wreck and um, Brooke didn't make it. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, so that is for me the day that changed every other day. And it's I'm totally unprepared. Um, Brooke was driving home. 
on the complete opposite side of the interstate, an 18-wheeler that was driving too fast um, with an unsecured load, jackknifed, lost its load, and um, industrial steel pipes flew across the interstate and one literally landed directly on top of Brooks' car. And 29-year-old, um, 29-year-old and uh, full of life, went to be with Jesus in that moment. So... Whew, that was the day that changed every other day for me man i'm i'm so sorry uh it's so so sad to, to hear it and thank you for being willing to share share some of your story and um just as i have gotten to know you um just your your faith journey um it sounded like there wasn't always this this faith in, in christ um but what after three days or so of not knowing what was going on what did you do from there yeah, it's um, if you rewind, Brooke and I met in 2013, and uh, I think I fell in love on the first night. Maybe I had to convince her to fall in love, and it took a little bit longer. But uh, she she had a conversation with me. Um, basically, you know, she was born and raised in the church. She went to Christian high school. Jesus was the center of her life from the day she was born till the day she died. And she said, you know, if we're going to make this work, like, and I'm going to introduce you to my parents, and I really, yeah, I love you, and this is amazing, but, like, long-term, I don't think, I, you know, how are we going to raise kids if you're an atheist and I'm a Christian? Um, so we had a pretty honest conversation, and I said, just so you're aware, you asking me to explore Christianity, I think it's only fair that you should explore atheism. Because that's what you're asking me to do. You're asking me to change my world perspective. And she's like, well, I'm not going to do that because I already know the truth. And I said, well, you know, actually, I have thought about like, oh, what's the point in life? Like, why do we exist? How do we exist at some point in my life? So I do love you. And I will commit to exploring the claims of Christianity. Um, and that's as good as I can offer you because I'm never going to lie to you and tell you, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, just so we can get married, you know. Um, but like, if you're willing to be patient, and you trust that, like, I will commit to studying this and trying to figure out for myself, like, if it's true, then I'll do it. So over the course of like, literally 2013 to 2021, it was books, podcasts, YouTube debates, trying to meet with friends or pastors or people in the church that could help answer some questions that I had. Um, I went down many dead ends, many winding roads to try to explore, like, come on, like, I got to find out definitively, like, is this true? Or is this not true? And um, I, I, can, I lost count of the amount of times I'd ask a Christian, like, hey, you know, tell me this. And you go, well, as a Christian, we believe this. I'm like, well, don't tell me what you believe. Tell me why. And like the science and the facts behind it, man, like, come on, you don't just tell me your, your, what I thought at the time was a cartoon story of this guy, you know? Um, so fast forward, literally like end of 2020, um, start of 2021, sometime in that period. Um, I was reading a book, uh, More Than a Carpenter, and I'd read a lot of science-based books that had kind of gone through um, theories on how evolution or creationism and how 
quickly the earth was created and what about like equal rights and what about war and all these other things like that had kind of gone through science and theory and I was like okay like yeah this kind of makes sense um in in the book more than a carpenter which I'd highly recommend to anyone the authors essentially say like listen you can go down any avenue you want to but if the resurrection is false then Jesus was a nice man who lived and did nice things on earth, but it's not really like a truth religion deity type thing. And guess what? Since he was crucified and resurrected, people have been trying to disprove the resurrection forever. Even as we do this podcast, somebody somewhere in the world is actively working to disprove the claims of Christ. Um, and it, the book works through the main theories of why it could be disproved. And they're like, look, they're all defeated. The resurrection is undefeated. Thus, Christianity is absolutely true. And that was kind of the uh-oh moment for me where I was like, oh, I think my whole world perspective is changing. That's kind of hard. Um, so, man, um, probably had accepted it in my head kind of around the end of 2020 like in my head the theory made sense but having only kind of gone to church um without really thinking about it I was like okay like people get baptized on baptism Sunday and it's this big celebration so I'll probably wait till the summer to like tell Brooke and tell my friends and family that I that I'm going to accept Jesus into my heart so I'm going to put that on hold and just I think it's true but now I have to wait to accept it into my life. And um, unfortunately, never got to tell Brooke that I was accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But um, when the chaplain is by a guy named Pastor Lewis uh, walked with me in the probably the five to 10 days in the immediate aftermath of Brooke's death, like came over to my house every day um, to check up on me. He basically said, man, it sounds like you've answered all the questions and you're probably ready to give your life to Christ. And uh I think I needed somebody to tell me that, you know, so I could kind of let go because it is a process of letting go of you being in control of your life. And um, yeah, so I was saved um, three or four days after Brooke passed and uh, uh, God's been working. He'd been working the whole time, but continues to be working ever since. Yeah. What a story. And um, could you just share uh, about what happened um, at at Brooks' funeral, it sounded like there was a a powerful moment uh, that occurred there. Yeah, um, and and it wasn't for show; it was just genuine how it happened. Um, Brooke and her family's home church in Georgia is Passion City Church, which uh, they were incredible. Pastor Louis, Pastor Brad, Pastor Grant, who actually played tennis at North Georgia, which was another divine connection. He did the graveyard service. Um, they were they came together because Brooke's parents were at Passion City Church the night Brooke died. So their leadership team, their pastoral care team, were able to immediately surround them. And they offered to to host Brooke's celebration of life at Passion, which was a no-brainer. So we had it there. She's buried in her hometown, which was her wishes. Um, fortunately, she had told us her wishes. You know, some, for some reason in our mid-20s, we talked about what we wanted to happen after we passed. And she wanted to be buried, so we got that done. But I, I don't know the year, and I'm going to say it was like 2014 or 2015. Passion City Church begun this Jesus's life wall where they had the words Jesus of life, and they have a big crucifix in the auditorium. 
and they gave out light bulbs to members of the congregation. They said, pray over this light bulb that whoever you're praying for will see the light of Jesus. And when that person sees the light of Jesus, they can screw it into the wall and it lights up basically. So um, my, my in-law, Stephen Dana, took a light bulb for me. Um, this is almost 10 years ago now. And they prayed over that light bulb and they kept it in their bedside drawer every day for those nine, eight, nine years. Um, so they, I didn't know they were even doing this. And when I found this out, I was like, man, I have to screw that light bulb in. And so as we were exiting the auditorium after Brooke's funeral and I passed that wall, I screwed the light bulb in and it was a wholesome full circle moment for sure. Man, powerful. Thanks for, thanks for going back. And I know that it's not easy to, to reminisce, um, yeah, the, the hardest day of your life. So thank you for sharing. Um, what have been just that's coming up on three years, what have been, the uh, the days, weeks, months like for you uh, ever since as you're continuing back to work coaching, um, the grieving process is different for everybody. But yeah, what's what's the uh, spiritual growth been like and what's life been like in general? Yeah, um, life has been a challenge. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, like on the night that Brooke died, I didn't want to be alive, you know. So you've gone from wanting to literally die when it happens to okay, next month marks three years and grief is an uncontrollable, unpredictable process. It's a different journey for everybody. But um, one of my counselors, man, she gave me just a powerful image that when when grief, a grief moment happens, your whole body is overcome by the shadow of grief. And slowly over time, kind of like a sundial, that shadow moves and moves and moves to where the shadow will always be attached to you, but um, it consumes less of your person at all times. So that's a moment that I'm never going to be able to detach from. Brooke will always be my wife. and uh, uh, But over time, you learn kind of rhythms and cadences and how to deal with the grief and the emotions. For me, counseling has been really important. It was like every day at the beginning, and now it's once a month or, or so. But very important, you know, when depression and grief and anxiety, I, I was fine. Like I felt like I was fine anyway, but now living with uh, depression and anxiety at 33, that's not something I expected to have to deal with. Um, can rear its head at any time. Um, but inner circle of people has been huge for me. Pastorship care, my friends inside and outside of coaching, people that really know me um the inner circle's been huge um and staying in the word man like it's funny like as a brit i think we probably have a reputation of sometimes being blunt and maybe having like saying a few too many curse words from time to time and that was the first thing that just like evaporated from my life like i i don't think i swore a lot but probably swore quite a bit and uh, i was like wow this is interesting i didn't even try to swear less and boom gone um continued shift away from outcomes to like if we win or if we lose that's not the uh that's not the big picture here we love to win we learn from losses but the big picture is how are you using your mission field to impact lives um continued learning for me like I, i'm about uh i just finished genesis yesterday it's my second lap cover to cover of the bible in the last three years and the first one, I was like, look, if I'm a Christian, man, I've got to read the Bible. 
cover to cover. Like I can't do, I can't say I'm a Christian. That was my personal belief. I got to read the Bible cover to cover. So the first time around was a basic grounding. This time around, like, man, I'm picking that through with a fine tooth comb, pulling out questions like, wow, I need to dive deeper into this subject or this subject. In Genesis, for example, it's questions like, uh, how do people live to be 900 years old? And any any crazy avenue that I want to go down so that if people come to me and they're like, man, that's just, that's a not very truthful. Like you don't live to be 900 years old. I can try to provide some biblical and scientific truth behind it to continue to defend the faith. So um, God continues to work in my life. Uh, it's It's really interesting. One of the first major things he did for me I, Kansas State were amazing to me. I went back to work maybe, uh, I don't know, two months after Brooke passed and coached a, a couple dual matches in the Big 12 championships. But I, it, I was having a really hard time staying in the town where, where we lived. It was our life. And there were two job opportunities for me that arose. One of them was back in the South, which is kind of the area that I love the most. And I thought, yeah, for sure, I'll take that job. And I interviewed at Incarnate Word, a Christian school in San Antonio. And I was like, oh my gosh, I fasted, did a prayer fast. I was like, God, where do you want me to go? And he led me to Incarnate Word, just an incredible couple of seasons there. And a, a private Christian school where I could in public explore and share my faith with the teams. Um, so um, might be a long answer to your question there, but hopefully some good examples. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I mean, you're a walking example that Jesus changes lives today. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing kind of those steps moving forward. And for me, as a um, small college coach, about an hour from Atlanta. So for me, I, we took our teams to Passion City Church and we saw that wall of Jesus's life. Uh, and awesome. when I heard about the light bulb, um, that that got me. And so uh, very, very special to hear what God's been doing in your life. I just want to end one, one more question. Uh, you mentioned uh, more than a conqueror and the resurrection. Um, I'm just curious, what was it about uh, some of the facts or data of the resurrection that, that convinced your mind to think, oh, Jesus was real. He died and he did raise from the dead. I mean, just some of the little things like um, there's all sorts of theories about why it could be wrong. Like, uh, the moved body theory, you know, well, when the Roman soldiers went, you know, somebody had just moved his body. Well, if they'd have moved his body, they would have found his body somewhere else. And so the way that the theories were defeated, you know, the theories that tried to disprove the resurrection were just so succinctly and profoundly defeated. And one of them is like, um, you know, all the people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected, ah, they were just hallucinating. But correct me if I'm wrong, he appeared to 500 or more people. So unless they were all taking the same magic mushrooms at different times in different places, I don't think 500 people from eyewitness testimony can be hallucinating all at the same time about this same thing. So the the, the resurrection is absolutely the cornerstone of uh, Christianity that that uh, led me to salvation, undoubtedly. And the book, More Than a Carpenter, just laid it out so clearly that me at the time, as a, I wouldn't say a non-believer, but an exploring skeptic, um, it really hit home. And, and ultimately, it's one of those things where like, okay, if you look at creationism, 
to my knowledge, there's two theories. There's like the new age, new earth, where it's like literally it was done in six days. Or there's old earth where like, well, each day could have been a billion years. And we ultimately don't know that because we're not God. But it just opened my eyes to the possibility. Like it's not all black and white, you know. But one of my favorite scriptures basically says, the pot can't say to the potter, you did not make me. We are the clay and God is the potter molding the world and molding our lives. You know, we can't possibly know more than the person who created us. So there becomes a point where the science or whatever theories lead you 99% of the way. And that has to be enough to convince you to take, even if it's that 1% leap of faith. Good stuff, man. I love it. Thanks for sharing. And uh, we just like to end in, in prayer on the podcast. Um, just what what steps uh, are you kind of sensing moving forward or how can we be praying for you in this season, Tom? That's that's great, man. I mean, it was um, I'm now really, really fortunate to be back in the southeast at just an incredible school of Clemson. And um, this is probably the first time in my career and my life where I'm like kind of actively not making plans. Um, you know, as a young coach, it was always, how can I climb the ladder to this rung or be successful enough to do this or go here or do this? And it's very much the the process now of just um, be still, impact lives at Clemson and in my social circles and continue to allow God to do the work that he wants to do. You know, there is no Tom's plan at this point in time. So uh, for me, it's continued prayers for healing, uh, for kingdom impact, and for um, stillness and peace in the process. Good stuff. Well, let's let's pray together. Father, we uh, we just stop, God, and just declare that you are God, uh, and we are not. You are uh, the Potter, and we are the clay. And God, we we thank you and praise you. Uh, for the work that you've done in Tom's life. Um, God, thanks for for saving him and putting him on this path and giving him this platform as coach now to, to impact others uh, for your name and your kingdom. I pray that we all would continue to lay aside our plans and our dreams and our goals and that we would just uh, pick up our cross uh, daily and follow you. Uh, we know that, that walking like you is, is a life of faith and a life of trust. So God, help us to do that. Uh, this day and for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. 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 Man, what a, what a story. Uh, it was about a year ago that Tom shared an Instagram video with Louis Giglio telling about the tragic death of, of Brooke and, and how Jesus changed Tom's life. And man, it, it got me. Uh, such an impactful story. And and if you were like me, you know, the, the tears just began to flow. Um, so, so sad. And um, man, but I, I love Tom's heart and just the way that he leads. And he's a coach that I would want my kids to play for one day. And and we're rooting for you, Tom, there at Clemson. And um, Friends, we, we appreciate you joining us here for episode one of the Walk Like a Champion podcast. And we're going to release an episode every Sunday night for the next eight weeks with more powerful stories and getting behind the scenes of elite leaders who desire to emulate Jesus. It's a joy to host this podcast and lead Athletes in Action's tennis ministry. We are bringing the good news to the world of tennis. 
So if this podcast has touched you in any way, or if our work aligns with what you are all about, we would love for you to join our community. We want to partner with you. You can follow us on Instagram at AIA Tennis, and you can share your email so that you can stay up to date on where we are going and who we are serving. Our team is going to work very hard to put out high quality content and bring on high level champions. It would be a gift if you would rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And please share this podcast with just one person who is on your heart right now. And remember, your life matters. Your walk matters. Who you look up to, copy and emulate, it all matters. Now look to Jesus and take your next step in walking like a champion.